Welcome to This Week in Craft Beer, the podcast, the weekly show where we interview the people making the magic happen in the UK craft beer scene. Sponsored by Them That Can, the premier mobile canning service in the UK. Commencing in July 2021, This Week in Craft Beer will be offering meticulously curated craft beer experiences to the world's most exciting craft beer destinations in partnership with some of the UK's leading craft breweries. Please visit our website for more details at thisweekincraft.beer. This Week in Craft Beer would like to thank our generous Patreon supporters John Stevens, Angela Peterson, Nick Flynn, Jamie Ramsey, Sue Johnson, Steve Hartley, Jazz Hundell, Phantom Brewing Company, Dolphin Brewery, Becky Bentley-White, Alex Possels, Berkshire Beer Box, Ryan Charlton and the Paper Mill Micropub. So I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast Ben and Mick from Rivington Brewing near Chorley in Lancashire. Ben and Mick homebrewed for two years before opening commercially in 2014 on the family farming in a stunning rural setting. Gents, please introduce yourself. Tell me about your beer journey and how you came to launch Rivington Brewing. Yeah, I'm Ben, one of the founders with Mick. My beer journey, I guess, started like a lot of people my age was probably drinking cask in like the local pub when right. you could still get proper Boddingtons and things like that. And it was probably a time where I didn't particularly care that much about beer. I was sort of 17, 18, 19. It was just a lot of my friends drinking lager. It was being in the pub, wasn't it, that that counted, really? Yeah. Yeah, and seeing like bottles of real ale in a supermarket and them just looking like a little bit different. So I started, I guess, looking into it a bit then. But then after that, my real beer journey started in America. I went to, I studied in, in North Carolina for a year. Fantastic. Um, and again, at, at the time, I was drinking the cheapest lager I could get my hands on, basically, yeah. in spirits. But <laughs> I went back to North Carolina a few years later to stay with a friend I met there, and he lives in a place called Asheville. Right. Uh, which is amazing beer town. It's where mm. there's burial and wicked weed. And right. Yeah, yeah. Sierra Nevada open production facility there. And I remember just going around this town, and the first place he took me to was Wicked Weed's Tap Room, and I had mm-hmm. a watermelon saison. It was the first time I can remember having a saison and just being, this is amazing. And then yeah. we spent the whole night there. And then we went around Asheville, and over the course of a week, I just noticed how it was the first time I'd been in tap rooms. I drank in breweries and mm. could see shiny vessels while I was drinking. And then you went to the local pizza place and there's like four taps of yeah. independent beer. And <laughs> me, yeah, it was coming back from there. And me and Mick had known each other for a few years. Mm. And well, I'll let Mick say how his started and it just sort of came together from there. Yeah, I want to drill into that North Carolina scene a bit more with you and there, Ben. But yeah, Nick, yeah. Uh, Mick, yeah. if you could introduce yourself, please. Yeah, I'm Mike. I'm kind of more the farm side of the brewery. So we have a beef farm that runs alongside it. I do spend most of my days looking after the cattle and, and then anything that particularly goes wrong in the brewery, I kind of Same jump things. in or if we need a hand <laughs> canning or yeah. just odd jobs yeah. really. My beer journey is probably not as romantic as Ben's. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty much just going to local, when I'm in my early 20s, going to local pubs really. Starting out on Foster's, just mentioned it. Uh, and then <laughs> building up to just cask, really, just having yep. local cask beer and, and then getting into the Sierra and the Amadas and things like that and buying them and, yeah, going to bottle shops and just, exper- you know, experimenting different beer every week. And I think it was, like, tick- was it Tickety Boom? And was it- yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like, yeah. kind of an early, having a few of those. And yep. 
Mad Hatters. Mad yeah. Hatters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Liverpool, yeah. They did a lot of out there kind of stuff, like Saison's. Yeah. I remember seeing like a photo from where we originally homebrewed and like we had like a shelf of everything that we were trying and it was Tickety Brews, Mad Hatters, Thornbridge when they're in the big 500ml right. bottles. Yep. Siren, the mini Clippo and yes. stuff like that. Sours. Yeah. And, uh, that was my gateway. Sour. Summer wine as well. And it's sad now seeing Mad Hatter, Summer Wine and Tickety Brew are no longer yeah, no, that's still right. going. It's no. only in seven or eight years. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Siren, of course, still going strong. They're one of my local yeah. brewers here down in Reading. So, North Carolina. So, which year were you there, Ben? Just to get a sense of the, the timing of it. Yeah, so I was there 16 years ago. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, when I went to university there. And then I went back probably, I don't know work out how long it would have been about, maybe like 10 years ago or so, maybe right. nine. And that was... I think at the time in the UK, as Mick was saying, we'd sort of start to see, based where we are rurally, we'd start to see bits and bobs of beer out here. And yeah. We'd seen the likes of Sierra Nevada in the supermarkets and Punk IPA hmm. was sort of prevalent. And I was actually living in Charlton at the time, in Manchester. So right. yeah, yeah. I saw like Odell's for the first hmm. time on the bar there. I remember speaking to the guys at Dulcimer about it and being amazed at all these beers. And then, hmm. so I had a little bit of awareness of the modern beer scene. Right. But it was actually going over and staying with friends and yep. and seeing how the whole town just was centered around really good beer and really good food and really good independent yeah. businesses. And yeah, I was amazed. I, I, I kind of always wanted my own business. I never really knew what I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. And then coming back from America, that was the inspiration. I was like, right, I need to, I want to be involved in, in yeah. beer in some, in some capacity. I didn't know what. Um, right. And then it's, it's where we sort of started looking to homebrew off the back of that. And so you were there, what, 2005, roughly, as, as a student? Yes. Um, as you say. yes. And so at that time, were there already tap rooms where the guys with beards and disposable income were going when you were, yeah, you, yeah. were, you, were you were hanging out in the student bars where you could, as <laughs> you say, drink, yeah, well, drink this... the cheap lagers? But there were, there, even at that time, were you aware of the scene, now the craft scene? Yeah, well, when, when I was at university, pretty much not at all. I was drinking Milwaukee Best or the Beast, as it was known, which was like the cheapest, strongest lager you could get in, in, in America. Yeah. I was buying slabs of that. It was when I went back and visited. And I'd say it was the first time I'd stepped foot in a tap room. And I can't remember all the breweries that I visited there then, but I remember Wicked Weed were there. Yeah. Um, I can't remember it was Burial. One day, one uh, my friend who was there, the main river that goes through Asheville, in summer people go on basically like inflatable tubes float down the river with a few beers for a few hours and it finishes nice. off at a tap room. Oh, wow. Uh, and the tap room, you get a lift back to town. And I was just like, this is, this is incredible. I right? need to do yeah, that. Yeah, that's got it. That's yeah. on my bucket list right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just, and I'll be honest, the only beer I can remember is the watermelon saison. I can't remember anything else that I drank that whole trip. But I just remember it being so different and so good yeah. everywhere I went. And, and all the tap rooms are so different. They're in these quirky buildings. One was in like a big old warehouse. This, right. There was this one that was at the end of the river. Wicked Weeds was in like a, a sort of shop front that they went then went downstairs. Okay. And again, it was the first time I'd really seen fermentation vessels and brew houses and to see all the right. stainless steel around. And yeah. as I think we forget sometimes of our brewery that people every day getting into craft beer or modern beer. And just because we see... A brew house every day it's mm. still amazing to some people to think that the beer they're drinking is brewed but it never Meters loses its charm i don't think that ever loses its charm does it no. if you're into beer then just being around the equipment and yeah. just just sitting there with the smells and the just the whole atmosphere is just brilliant well, we, yeah it. yeah i think even for us we went on a stag do two years ago to stone berlin what's well, berlin we went to stone okay. berlin yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and even seeing their 
tap room and their brewery and get the, get the tour around the brew house. It's like, it's amazing. And then we see breweries every day. So, yeah, I mean, what a stunning facility. I, I went over there when it had switched over to Brewdog for their European oh, really? AGM last, yeah. let's say August before last. And yeah, what an incredible absolutely extraordinary space. facility. Yeah. 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 A bit out of it's town, mind you. Yeah, it's a shame they couldn't get it to work. When you went there, I think it was, it was quite a big track, wasn't it, from Berlin, yeah. I don't remember. And then you've got 500 covers there, full restaurants. It's, um, yeah. yeah, it was big. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think a lot of their off models, so I had a friend who worked in sales for Stone Berlin. I think okay. some of the major, some of the main accounts were, well, I think Albert Sloss in Manchester was on like the main on-trade accounts. So right. I think for a lot of the production was in Germany, they're shipping tons over to the UK. Mm-hmm. It was just unfortunate, I guess, they just overreached a bit, didn't they, with that? And yeah, yeah just, just couldn't make it pay. It was a shame. Have you seen the documentary on it? No, I haven't actually. Is it on Netflix or something? Or? Uh, Amazon Prime. Yeah. Isn't it? Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, great. Really yeah, really good. Uh, Beer Jesus. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, no, I haven't yeah. that. Yeah, it's cool. pretty good. Yeah, it's really good. Terrific. Let's get back to you guys. So you started homebrewing a couple of years, getting your recipes organized, I guess, you know, starting to figure out your techniques. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Talk me through that experience and then what tipped you over the edge to take the plunge and start getting into a commercial brewing. We started just after I came back from the States. Mick had just been to a wedding and the guy there, the groom, had brewed some homebrew for it. And you sort of came back pretty excited about it. And Mick was getting married the following year or the year after. So we're like, let's, so what I want to do a similar thing. Let's start homebrewing. Nice. So I'd previously experimented with the kits where you basically pour boiling water in. And I think I did it twice. Yeah. I was left with a load of bottles that were very, very mediocre to <laughs> yeah. rubbish. Yep. And so I didn't go back to them for a few years. Um, and then we decided, okay, right, we'll start homebrewing together. So we got a, a little old grain kit from Leyland's Homebrew down the road. Nice. Bought John Palmer's How to Brew. Read that each, cover to cover. Mm. We're still clueless. So we're like, <laughs> right, we just need to take the plunge at some point. What should we do? And we went, okay, let's get a, a beer that we know and we like, and it was Sierra Nevada. Right. So we Googled online, found a clone recipe for that. I'm like, right, let's go for it. Let's brew this. Yeah. And we didn't get the right hops because the homebrew store didn't have them. Uh, right. And then I think we, well, our actual ABV was about 4.5 instead of being what should have been, I think, Sierra Nevada was five and a half. So yeah, it is. Yeah. from there, it just got a little bit of interest. Okay, where did that go wrong or what do oh. differently? And I think it's a similar story of 99% of homebrewers. <laughs> you quite quickly get left with like a lot of beer and you don't really drink that much of it yeah you, you just want to get on to the next recipe the next yeah. brew yeah. Just to challenge yeah. yourself yeah. yeah you try a bottle or two give it to your friends hmm. your kind friends say it's really nice you're not so kind <laughs> ones like spit it out in front of you so so yeah plugged away with that and then we got down to a couple of recipes that we thought were, were reasonably good okay. um, and then looking back in hindsight they weren't good at all but i think they gave us the confidence that we'll Let's go and just get a little 200 litre kit. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a, a business in the area called Pallet Brew who were doing relatively cheap, small scale kits. Like a, yeah, Dave Porter, wasn't it? Kind yeah. Of cladded sides and. Yeah, just really uh, a bigger version of a home brew kit almost. Wasn't yeah, it? Right. Yeah. 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 So we thought, yeah, let's take the plunge, let's go for it. And then we did it. So I think we sold our first bottles locally to a. Uh, I think a Boston place called Barica Wines. Um, mm-hmm. So we sold there initially. Um, I was actually away that weekend. I was texting Mick because he was there. I was like, has anyone bought it? Is, is anyone there? Is anyone doing anything? <laughs> and from there, we went and got a few casks and we sold those to a few local places. Nice. Um, 
and then the sort of spiral from there a bit. And so the original focus was cask and bottle conditioned beers, I guess. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I think when we started, we thought that we have to brew certain styles mm-hmm. to actually be able to sell anything locally. Yeah, and this was 2014, <laughs> so that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? I mean, you know, yeah. that was before Cloudwater, BC, as I like to think about it. So you know, yeah, that, yeah. that was the, that was the before times. So you know, yeah. you, you'd be crazy to think you could sell anything other than cask, really, as a small brewery um, there. Um, yeah. We were told that. Locally, we were telling other sort of local brewers, oh, we're going to do uh, double IPAs and saisons and sours. And it was like, oh, they won't sell around here. Um, and, <laughs> no cool and, for and likes of that right around here, here no. <laughs> yeah. I think we got told, didn't we, you need, you need a bitter, you need a mild. Yeah, we did. And it was something else. We did a probably. We asked a local brewery, Dunster Bridge, who now are around Eva. No. Um, they said, like, can we come along and just volunteer and see what it's like on a commercial kit? And they very, very kind of letters. And one of the guys there who was like, I think, helped in the brewery a bit, did the tray. He was like, right, if you start, lads, yeah, you need a bitter, a blonde, a mild, and something <laughs> yeah. else. So we're like, well, we're thinking about doing saisons and double IPAs and IPAs. Oh, they won't sell around here. No, won't. don't do those. <laughs> we sort of leave thinking, hmm. Yeah, can we sell those? Yeah. Will, will anyone I mean, that buy them? probably so. actually was probably pretty good advice at that time. It's, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. it's sad yeah. the way it's played out for people that that was their focus. But yeah, yeah, yeah you definitely had the last laugh, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, hopefully. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, and we went from there selling four casks to four local pubs, basically. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we realized, oh, this is completely inefficient. So let's go and get a slightly bigger kit. Yeah. So we went and got a 400 litre kit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a few more tanks and things. And so when we upscaled to 400 litres, we then, we bought a couple of like DPVs so we could ferment and condition right. in them as well. So it was our first chance to start doing keg beers. Before okay. that, everything was keg conditions or bottle conditions. Mm-hmm. So particularly when we're doing the very hazy, murky beers, it just turned out like mud, basically, like right. brown puddle water because they were <laughs> they were exposed to heat after being keg conditioned. Yeah. We're picking up tons of oxygen and, and flat bottom fermenters. And then, so yeah, we thought, well, let's get the start. Before we go any bigger than this, let's start with some pressurized vessels. Right. Would you say that was the point at which you started to brew the type of beers you're turning out today or was there still a fair bit of the journey to get from there to here i think it probably was wasn't it really i think a lot of our recipes came from that around that time wasn't it, when we were experimenting yeah. and i think the, the catalyst was i think we did two years of doing what we felt we should brew yeah. locally to be able to sell our beer and then the more we were going up and drinking manchester like i think we on one january we went to port street and they did like a beer mm. tasting evening so we sat upstairs mm. and went through a few different styles yeah. there. and then they said like cloudwater when they launched as well and when they first started bringing the hazy beers over and as well as one of the best catalysts who sort of pushed us a bit was uh, jim at sulfur beer festival okay because he was always adamant you have to bring either a new beer or new to the to manchester nice i think we got invited the second year it's like mm-hmm. okay well, we're, we're going here we should we need to do something that we've talked about doing <laughs> we haven't quite done yet so we did a, a new zealand dipper called two okay and that was the first time i think we'd done a double ipa and knowing that Jim would take one, we're like, okay, that's enough guarantee. If Jim will take yeah, one, then we'll, we'll try and find a way to sell the rest. It's fifty percent de-risked at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. I probably took like three months to sell the rest of it. Um, <laughs> but like, okay, at least we're now starting to brew more what we want to and more styles we want to, and things we've probably been too scared to 
beforehand because at least one person is now taking this, this keg that we've done. Mm, nice. Brilliant. I've had some great nights sitting upstairs at Port Street as well. That's one of the meccas of UK craft beer. But it must have been a bit intimidating for you to be going into central Manchester to see the beers that Cloudwater and Track and Marble and Wonder Beyond, I guess, were up at that stage as well, weren't they? And so you're starting to see some real serious beer coming out of Manchester. And yeah. I guess it's equal parts intimidating and inspiring. Well, when we first started... Well, sort of four years ago, we started doing more double IPAs and hazy pails. Mm-hmm. But the majority of our volume went to Manchester. Uh, so, and I think it was, it was quite nice as well to know that we were in Manchester going after tap space with the best Manchester breweries, like yeah. the Cloudwaters, the Tracks, the Marbles, mm-hmm. the Squawks, Runaways. Yep. But then not only those guys, the bars, as you said, in Manchester, were getting some of the best breweries in the world over. Yep. Like you were getting like McKellar in Port Street mm-hmm. when it was first getting over here. Then we're talking about Stone Berlin when they were first there. The first time I'd seen Odell. So you're getting these amazing breweries coming over. Yeah. And then, so you're not competing just against the best local breweries mm-hmm. or best Manchester breweries. It's the best breweries in the UK and the world that are yeah. tap space there. So, yeah, intimidating, but also quite inspiring when these places do take your boot. No, definitely. Absolutely. And so let's move you on to the build to the level that you're now at with the new kit and the tap room that I was reading this afternoon was partly funded by a rural development grant from the European mm. Agricultural Fund. So tell me about that. Yes. How, did, how did you come across that? How did you manage to win the grant? You know, that, that's a fantastic achievement. Yeah, there's a couple of things. There's a local distillery near us called Brindle Distillery. They have a gin mm-hmm. company called Cuckoo and we, before we had the tap room here, we did little pop-up events on the farm, which are right. called Tap Beneath the Trees. Yeah, so I want to go, come back to that. Hold that thought. I definitely yeah, want to yeah. drill into that <laughs> well, a bit later. <laughs> they came to the first one and they did their own gins there and we got chatting to them. Nice. And he said, oh, we've got this rural diversity because they're on a farm as well. Okay. Um, in fact, you bought cows off them and stuff. Yeah. And vice yeah, versa. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, there's them. a very good link there. A proper farm, um, yeah. So they put us on, he's mentioned, oh yeah, we've got a rural diversification grant, which is linked to employment, like job creation scheme, right. and diversifying the farm, and they'll pay up to 40% of the investment that you've got. Oh, fantastic. It was about the time that Mike was taking over the farm. He's third generation farmer, so taking over from your folks. Yep. Yeah. yeah, well, third at this place. Yeah. yeah. And then we're looking yeah. to do something different with the farm, basically. Yeah, with the buildings where we were, because we were in dairy. So then buildings were coming free. Right. Because we decided to come out of dairy and go into beef. So we had yeah. we had a bit of space. So while well, there was horses where the yeah. tap room is now, well, two years ago, there was horses and there was calves where the three years now. Yeah. So we did them up, didn't we? Yeah. About, was it 18 months ago? Yeah. Got the kit from, we had to buy, that was the only thing we had to buy a new brewery. Yeah. We yeah. And we, if that's about getting new brewery and we on an odd over that. So we just initially looked like getting a, a six barrel. Right. It's funny. I know you had Ryan from Chainhouse on the yeah. other week and he said, I said, go bigger. And it's the best okay. advice I've ever had was to go for a, a 10 barrel. Um, okay. Cause we were going to go for a six barrel. Then we're like, let's go for an eight barrel. And then eventually, like the price, there wasn't much in it, so you may as well just get a ten barrel. If you got the space for it, yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah. And so it was linked to the grant was part of diversifying the buildings here to put in a brewery and a tap room, and then linked to job creation, right? And it's sort of a, I think it's a five-year plan to create the employment that you need to be awarded the grant. Okay. Um, and we've hit that in about eighteen months. So oh, fantastic! It was like, yeah, yeah, it, it was really good. So really fortunate to get it. 
Awesome. Um, you actually got your hands on the money now, have you? Well, yeah, you get it rewarded just afterwards, but they can take it back if you don't oh, reach goodness. levels of employment and stuff as well. Um, Keep your focus, yeah, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But it wasn't as smooth sailing. So we started the process in June 2019, I think. Right. And then uh, the first guy that we got a quote off, well, we, we got a couple of different quotes. We settled on one guy who was starting off importing breweries from China. Right. It wasn't SSB. It was another company. Yep. He then went bust. So before we gave him any money, we had to then go and get another quote. Uh, we then got another quote off Vince Johnson, Johnson Brewing. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he'd, been, he'd been brewing for a long time. Yeah, like, like to, 20 odd years or something. Mm-hmm. We thought, well, that's this, at least he's not going to go bust. He's got, no. yeah. you know, that, that <laughs> experience behind him. And so we went with him, paid our deposit. We got the brew house, got some of the pipe work in. And then January 2020, he went bust. God, so Jesus. we were without our, without our FEs and things. So went to the, the process administrator, eventually got our tanks in April. I think mm-hmm. we got them two weeks after the first lockdown was called. So we had this brand new shiny brewery and then going backwards and forwards with the company who saw like Vince Johnson's parent company. Right. And basically came to an agreement that they wouldn't finish it. So we got Pure Weld to finish it for us, who's mm-hmm. been absolutely brilliant. So we managed to get the brewery finished by, I think, End of June 2020. Right. Yeah. Um, it was a tap room had opened, man, too, was it? Yeah, tap so room So that was just coming out of lockdown, I guess. So it's good timing from that yeah. perspective, yeah. The, the tap room opened a little bit earlier. That was, I think it was like October 2019. November, yeah. So, yeah, we struggled. Mm-hmm. So we struggled really to keep enough beer flowing. So you still had the flowing. old kit, I guess, did you? Yes. To, to yeah. keep a little bit of beer flowing, but yeah. Yeah, and we opened in winter 2019 as well because we wanted to actually see if we could run a business in winter. Right. Like we've done tap beneath the trees. We've done it in summer. We've done it on, on the rare 25 degree days in Rivington. Yeah, any idiot can sell beer in the summer, can't they? Exactly. <laughs> it'd be absolutely heaving. Um, so we're like, right, we need to make sure, will anyone actually turn up? And in the first weekend, a lot of people did turn up. I'm like, oh, this is really good. And Saturdays and Sundays were, were pretty decent in the daytime. Like I remember one Friday when I was here on my own, we probably had about four people coming in six hours. I was like, oh, no. shit, like, what have we done? <laughs> yeah, we've opened a tap room in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And no one is coming. So you get through to Christmas and everyone starts coming out again in, in the masses sort of late December. Yeah, got through. And then the, the sort of new year, ironically, January was a lot better than the first sort of November, December. Okay. Um, I think we're so, based on where we are, we're so weather dependent. I think January 2020, we had a lot of really sunny, cold days and okay. loads of people were out walking. People, whereas yeah, prepared to put their boots on and come and walk out to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, if it's sideways rain up here, <sighs> yeah. it's a little bit brutal to get out to. So. <laughs> and at the time, I think we had no heating. No, uh, no anything. So oh yeah, it was goodness. only the very hardy coming out. Mm, proper rustic. Let's talk about this first beer, guys. I've nearly finished mine, and I guess you're probably cracking into <laughs> yours as well. So this is, I think it's fair to say, your real marquee beer. This is Never Known Fog Like It. 5.2% New England Pale. Tasting nuts, I have, say, murky, juicy, fruity, hopped with Citra Mosaic, Simcoe, and Chinook. Absolutely delicious. This is the perfect beer for this type of conversation where it's not going to knock you flat on your back, but super flavoursome, really, really lovely beer. It's everything I'm looking for in a pale ale, a nice, just moderate bitterness, really deep depths of fruity flavours, just a nice danky smell to it as well. It's just lovely. And I'm not surprised that I think this is is fair to say this is the beer that really launched you guys as one of the chosen crowd on Instagram. It photographs beautifully as well as we were talking about just before we started. It's a lovely looking glass of beer. 
We could do with you doing our tasting notes because that's way more descriptive than, uh, <laughs> than anything I ever put together. So, But this is great. How did you get to this beer? And I'm sure that you're going to keep brewing it because it's just a guaranteed smash here as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it was... We first brewed it about the time that the Cloudwater Dipper series, where we first started to see murky, really hazy beers in the UK, mm-hmm. particularly around the Dipper series, and we, we tried them. And I remember all the, the fuss, so to speak, about the first time there's these really hazy double IPAs yeah. out and things, mm-hmm. and then the first time you see it poured and being like blown away that it's hazy and like, is it okay mm-hmm. to drink? And then we tried it and were blown away by them we just weren't tasting anything else like that with that sort of softness and juiciness there's other breweries around that time who were bringing that sort of style over and then off the back of that we sort of did our research as to what is a a new england pale yep um and this was our this was the first attempt we ever had at doing a a new england double dry hop style pale we used a lot of the hops that we had so chinooks in it because that's what we had at the time in the world um we could get hold of Simcoe and Mosaic mm-hmm. and Citra. The Citra was all dry hop because at the time in the old brewery, we couldn't get Citra in leaf format. So right. we had to just do a dry hop of Citra instead and Simcoe Mosaic Chinook in the Whirlpool. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's um, definitely the beer that built the brewery and carries the brewery now. Yeah, we've, we've not changed a huge amount over the years. We've changed the water chemistry, we changed fairly regularly based on what our water is. Right. Um, but, but a lot more from what it was on the old brewery. And then we changed the grist very slightly when we went to the bigger kit, just because we're getting better efficiencies on the beer. Okay. Um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was ironic. We've not really drank a lot of it until this year. Like, mm-hmm. I hardly drank it at all last year because brewing it so often. Yeah, pretty happy with it. I think we always wanted a hazy car, didn't we? That was one of yeah. the things when we started off that we wanted something that you could rely on and that was well almost gave us the, the confidence to get a bigger brewery we're like okay we can brew this once on the big kit and do you know what we should be able to sell 12 heck of keg of it it should it nice. should be okay it might take yep. us a few weeks and the irony is now we have to do a separate keg and canning run for it we're probably brewing it every other week on the wow. new brewery in the bigger tanks we, we've just ordered a couple more tanks and one mm-hmm. of those will pretty much just be fog on rotation to ensure we have enough keg and, and can stock of it wow that's nuts i mean are you getting to the stage now where you've got pubs with it on a permanent line almost or not quite yes so we've got yeah but that's yeah corto and clitheroe we're going to have it on permanently um, nice. when they're allowed to open inside yep and um, we've had a couple of like permanent lines where we rotate our beers like plug and taps in um in preston in preston yeah mm-hmm. yeah that course is the first one's gonna have i think fog on permanently on, on one of their lines which is Pretty exciting. Yeah, because at 5.2, it's, it's a perfect beer for that, isn't it? Really, pubs yeah, are going to want to have a beer in this, at least a craft beer-focused pub, want to have a beer at, at that kind of ABV, I think, on draft. And why would you not yeah. have one like this that people are going to have some name recognition with? Yeah, so yeah. I think it's superb. Um, just to flip back to talking about your, your output for a second, as we move back into normal times, starting today, and yeah. <laughs> hopefully yeah. moving forward, uh, recording on the... On Monday, the 12th of April, with an auspicious day in UK drinking, or English drinking, I should say. But as we move forward, hopefully the pubs are going to open up properly next month, and yeah. hopefully without restriction in June, or at least yeah. sometime soon enough. Do you expect to start to see some renewed demand for your cast beers as well? Are you are you going to face some pressure to have a balanced output? We're actually racking two casks tomorrow, Beach oh, yeah. House, and moving south. And I think... We might have 
four left of one, not pre-sold, and like a few left of the other. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, I think what we're going to do with cask, and we're chatting about, because we have two handfuls here, and we really like cask, like drinking mm -hmm. it. It's what we probably drank the most of last summer as well, is we're not going to, we're not going to brew as much of it. Right. But we're going to brew so we have it at the tap. So you've always got it at the tap, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but then also ensure that we're sort of getting the margin we need on it mm. to pay staff members, to pay back for the kit, to invest for the future and stuff as well. So I think at times we probably did last year we did a little bit too much of it, mm -hmm. whereas now I think we're going to do a little bit less and ensure we've got enough of the tap room, that we've got enough beer also packaged in keg for the tap room and enough cans for takeout as yep. well and then see where we're at. And if a pub wants to take one of these beers on cast, it's got to be at a premium price, I guess, because it's scarce enough that you can justify that. And that's, I guess, it's yeah. Great, I mean, yeah. Well, even now, we've actually not put the prices up, but by no means the most expensive. And if you look in the local area, we definitely are the most expensive in, in Lancashire, I'd say. Mm -hmm. But then if you compare us to, I guess, like prices of breweries in Manchester or elsewhere in the UK, we're definitely nowhere near the most expensive. So no. we still want to, we set up with everything that we do, like keg, cask, and cans. It's treading that fine line between making enough margin to pay everything, to pay everyone in the business, to pay money back to people sustainable and to be here yeah. long-term as well because we want to be around in 10, 20, 25, 30 mm -hmm. years. But then also make sure that the beer isn't so expensive that it puts people off buying it. We still want it to be affordable. We're consumers as well. And like when we, I was a couple of months ago in a, a bottle shop locally and there was like a, a UK dipper there at like £9.50 for mm -hmm. four 40ml can and I was like it's it's a lot of money it's a big entry and I didn't buy it but I'm, I'm sure the beer was absolutely brilliant but like that's for me as a consumer I found it like quite a high price that point is a big price for into, so yeah 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 um so we've always I think nationally we're pretty affordable um, mm -hmm. I'm sure locally some people would say we're uh, we're pretty expensive so yeah <laughs> it's it, honestly it's an impossible line you're trying to walk there isn't it really you're never going to yeah. please everybody but I think yeah, uh, coming you, back you, can, you can't win either way I don't think like I think no. you look people get slated for being too expensive but then these businesses are, are here sort of long term and sustainable and then the breweries that put out cheap beer is slated for the quality of the beer that they're producing, but they're doing it for cheap. So how, what is that magic yeah. price point yeah. that you should be hitting? Yeah, I mean, I've always had it as well with the uh, with the dairy side, with the milk. And I think being pushed down all the time with that mm. price as well as kind of could never invest and you could, you know, and it was always, it was always a battle really yeah. with, the, with the milk yeah. price. And I think that's something that, yeah, we don't really want to get, yeah. we don't want to be doing, say, cheap cask and yeah. kind of trying right. to our vision for the brewery has, has always been sort of long-term sustainability we've, mm -hmm. we've never had ambitions to be a big brewery we've never had ambitions to be in supermarkets not really even national distribution we sort of wanted a brewery that's sustainable through the tap room have a sort of small group of people work with us that we can look after the best that we can right pay off our the money that we sort of spent on it. And so, invest as well. Yes, yeah. and, exactly. Yeah. And, and reinvest without having to borrow that money. And that's yeah. what we want to do slowly and, and long-term as opposed to getting a load of investment in, <laughs> growing and growing and growing and, and looking to sell out in a couple of years. That's never been our, our plan. I think that's really admirable in, in every aspect you just described there. You've chosen to move into, this is an artisanal business, isn't it? It's a high-quality, small-batch yeah. business where you should be able to charge a 
yeah. fair but premium price for what is yeah. an absolutely premium product. So yeah. I think everything you just said should be achievable, but only if you're focused on quality rather than volume and certainly sounds as though you are. Um, so we've sort of I mean we've tried to look at it a lot, as a lot of brewers have now as the American model whereby you have a tap room that does well and you get some decent volume for your tap room, but then mm. you can also in the local area where your brewery's based, you can also get hold of that brewery's beers. Yep. So we've in lockdown, we're doing a, the web shop with national shipping. We've actually stopped doing that. I know. Yeah, that's amazing. And yeah, I think that's also brilliant and sad at the same time. It's sad that I won't yeah. be able to get it in Berkshire very easily, but yeah. I also applaud the, the local focus there, yeah. Yeah, we quite like the idea of people coming up to see yeah. us though, and, and, and drink at the farm. And We're such a unique place, aren't we? Yeah. There's a couple of things. We, I'll tap I'll start with the guys that we work with. The tap room it's hopefully going to be fairly busy, so there's going to be a lot on with that anyway. But we just yeah. want to bring people out here, out to Rivington, and to follow that, that American model of actually, when you go around America, as much as you know the big name breweries, there's little breweries you've never heard of. Like we've both been to San Diego on separate trips, right? Or we both went to completely different breweries that people haven't heard of. And I guess you can't really get that with everyone sort of shipping nationally. So, um, and it's hard because you still need a name, a decent enough name for people to make the trip out because it's, even if you're in Manchester, we're still, what, 35, 40 minutes outside of Manchester on the train, plus a half an hour walk or Uber ride. So to come out here with so much quality beer in Manchester has to, we have to be doing something right to bring people out here. And without shipping ourselves nationally, direct distribution, I guess we have to build that up through, we work with a couple of distributors and, and ship to a few bottle shops and things around the country, but yeah. just by building a bit of a local name and following. Mm. And I think that's going to come, personally, I think it's going to come more and more in the UK VOC. That's really interesting. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, it seems like most of the brewers, most of the more successful UK craft brewers, and it's hard to define that exactly, but they've mostly been national brands now even the relatively small ones they're shipping nationally and you can get them in yeah. the in the significant tap rooms across yeah. the country and, and in most of the big bottle shops so it's it's interesting that you would say you would you take that sort of american model and, and most people when when they tell me they're going to take an american model it's all about the tap room and i yeah. totally get that that's an important part of your business as well but but that local distribution part is not something i've heard to be honest anybody else talk about and i think it's really interesting and, and obviously ryan when i spoke to him two weeks ago was also talking very much about being satisfied with just supplying Preston. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he's not even that bothered about getting as far as Manchester. And I guess it's easy for him to say with his scale at the moment, I suspect he might have slightly bigger yeah. <laughs> you know, radius <Yeah>. of ambition <laughs> as he grows. But but even still, he's focused on supplying the best bars in Preston. Um, yeah. You guys, I guess, got a bit closer to Manchester, so you've got a slightly wider reach in terms yeah. of the bars you're trying to supply. But even still, just having that local focus, I think it's great. And I'd like yeah. to think that more brewers will take that model on board. And it's what we, we saw when we started as well. We wanted, one of the reasons we started the brewery was because there wasn't much of a modern or craft or independent scene. Well, there wasn't an independent scene, but it was centered around more trad cask. Right. So we couldn't get hold of the beers that we wanted to get to. But the local pub to us is, I think, enterprise run. So the best we could get on there was Wainwrights. So, yeah. One of the reasons we started was that we could actually have access to decent beer. And there's been like some really good bottle shops and bars open around it. And when we first started, 80-90% of our volume went to Manchester. Now, yep. I think Preston is by far our biggest market. Nice. And I think you've seen a lot through 
I guess sort of rural, well, we sit a lot in rural towns and in Lancashire. So it's obviously what Ryan's doing in Preston, but like Accidental Brewery up in Lancaster, what Mike's right. doing there. Like he's yep. just got a bigger kit, got a really good tap room, really respected beers up there. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's, yeah. that's become a destination as part of Lancaster. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exciting times. Gents, yeah. let's take a short break. This Week in Craft Beer is sponsored by Them That Can, the premier mobile canning service in the UK. Them That Can deliver the machinery, labour, materials and most importantly the expertise to achieve a professionally canned product that keeps their clients happy. For more information about how you can get started with their amazing services, please visit www.themthatcan.com. So I'm back with Ben and Mick from Riddington Brewing for the second half of the show. Gentlemen, let's pose you the hardest question for most brewers at least to answer, which is what makes you different? What is it that you're doing or planning to continue doing or perhaps planning to start to do that will stand you in good stead and stand you out from the crowded UK craft beer scene? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, the, as we sort of saying, uh, definitely the tap room and where the tap room's based. I think to an extent that the model we're trying to pursue. So trying to be locally focused with a sort of local tap room, moving away from going bigger and national. I think that's probably one of the biggest things for us at the moment. I think that allows us to keep experimenting, keep brewing new and like different styles that we want to do, keep on refining everything that we do because we've got a, a tap room where we can regularly put our new beers out and try our new beers and, and know what we've changed and amended to things and have to try them in the tap room. I think I, I'm sure that we're not alone. So there's other breweries who are taking things slowly and it were like locally focused. I mean, look, at was it like Little Earth Project. He's, yeah. yeah. The pub down there that they've got mm. and they're going to have a, a tap room miles away from everywhere. Yep. Um, I think that's probably, I'd say the biggest thing for us is that not wanting to go too big, not wanting to be everywhere and really focusing on, on sort of local and the tap room and, and building the, just the, the beer scene, but the food, drink and community scene mm. locally. I think as well with that, the different styles that we do as well. I think we don't want to be just known as a hazy beer right. brewery. We want, I mean, we've got, I think, 17 taps. Yeah. And we plan on having a, quite a few styles going through there, not just pale after pale after pale. Nice. And yeah. Something for everyone. And yeah, it, may, it makes us on production schedule where we could at times just put them a DDH in and we know we'd sell it. But then we'd, if we just kept on doing that, we'd have 17 taps of pale, DDH pale, IPA, DDH IPA and dipper. So it makes us actually, right, okay, we now need to make sure we've got a, a porter on or yeah. a red ale or a, a kettle sour or a saison or a wit to make sure that, that there is some, a point of difference on our tap lines, not just 17 taps of, of IPA or pale. It's a great point, actually. And you're constantly challenging yourself as a brewer to come up with those recipes and execute them to the quality level that and people are expecting. It was, yeah. it, was a, it was a conscious decision. We, When the guy that built our cellar came round, we worked out the maximum lines we could put in. We also said we're destination location. So if we had two cask lines and four keg lines, who's going to bother coming all the way out to Rivington to, to sure. yeah. you know, Good point. six different beers? Whereas if you've got 17 beers, there's mm. it's a reason to come out and spend a day and, and to try try a little bit of everything yeah makes perfect sense so i think that leads us really nicely into a more detailed discussion about your location we've sort of been skirting around it a bit but yeah. paint me a picture of the farm and the brewery and the tap room tell us what you've got there yeah we've i mean we've, we've lived here for i think 60 years now 
Mm -hmm. um, we came from Liverpool originally. Right. And we're just on the outskirts of Rivington, uh, Rivington Pike, yep. uh, the gardens. So there's quite a few places around us, the barn and the yeah. higher we've got, yeah. So Rivington's centred around basically a couple of reservoirs that supply the water, mm. ironically, to Liverpool, not ourselves. Interesting. Um, <laughs> but also Rivington Pike and Rivington, the Terrace Gardens were left by, was it Lord Leverhume? Leverhume, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so he left them to... In essence, the people. Nice. Um, so it's a, a little bit of green belt right. in between, like all, all the big national parks. So you obviously go further up, and then you hit Lake District, further south, yep. you hit the Peak District. Yep. With where we are, people feel like you, you get away a little bit more. So we there's a, a small yeah. campsite on site here, mm -hmm. and we regularly have people staying who live in Horrocks ten minutes away. But to them, it feel you feel like you're getting away <laughs> for the weekend by, by being there, by being here. Um, but you're only a mile or two off M61, right? Yeah. yeah, it's not really the countryside, really. Is it? I don't know, what, about 600 yards away from the motorway? Okay. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, not near a Jensen, uh, though. No, no. no. Um, but, yeah. but as we said, I mean, with the links, I mean, you can drive to Manchester in 35, 40 minutes. You can get mm -hmm. the train, and the fast train's going about half an hour, and it's about yeah. half an hour walk to the train station. So we're sort of idyllic rural, but pretty connected in a way to yeah. roads and to the railway. Mm. Can you see the reservoir from the front yes. of the, the farm yeah, buildings here? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure can, yeah. I was looking yeah, at it on good. Google this afternoon. It looks, it looks perfect. So where are you sitting there right now? That's Is that the tap room you're sitting in? or? Yes. So this, yeah. this is the original tap room. And we have, we have a bit of a history of not planning ahead. So <laughs> we, uh, this used to be two stables in here. And we managed to get five tables in of eight plus some like standing bits on the side. So like, probably about 50 people in here, really tight. And we're like, right. that'll be fine for taproom. That's all we'll need. Sure. And then summer hit and it wasn't anywhere near close enough to, to what we needed. So yeah, this is, this is the original taproom. And then we've sort of spent quite a lot last year on doing the outside area up and, and doing more shelters and things. So that and is still the bar for the taproom, but you're expecting mostly to be sort of al fresco. I mean, obviously entirely yeah. for the next few months but even, yeah. even even in winter you think people would be sitting outside would they or is that a bit of a stretch um, potentially we have got yeah. heaters haven't we? we've yeah. got a bit of a polytunnel where we've got okay. some heaters in oh nice um, we did that just before yeah. the second lockdown mm -hmm. um yeah well, we don't have space to expand the tap room inside um right it's just sort of see, seeing how the summer goes and i guess seeing where we are at the end of summer whether we can invest in expanding it inside yeah, yeah. Once we'll to see where we are. Yeah, yeah. yeah in, a, uh, in a few months' time, it makes sure there's no more lockdowns or, God, who <laughs> or knows? anything like that. Because again, we, uh, I think we got the heaters for the polytunnel last year, the week before we went to lockdown. Oh, God. So that wasn't the best investment. So at least you still uh, got new gas bottles with them. You know, yeah, yeah. So we're, just, we're nervous now about saying we'll do anything, and then we'll get yeah. to the lockdown when we start doing work on it. So, yeah. so you've started to build quite a significant team there. So tell me who's who and, and what you've got going on. Yeah, I mean, this time last year, it was pretty much just myself full-time. Mm -hmm. um, we've now got Billy in, in the brewery. We've got Phil, our taproom manager. We've got Kat and Jack, who are in the taproom, but also like a little bit of the brewery. Um, right. We're looking to add another person as well. And just like a big shout out to those guys, like incredibly... We're very, very fortunate with the people we've got working with us. Um, yep. And just in particularly in how tough the last year has been. Oh, it's guys been, been I'm like, sure it's been so stressful oh, for everybody. So, um, yeah. Amazing. They've made our lives so much easier. Like nothing, nothing's been too much trouble for them. Like they'll 
bend over backwards they'll do anything to sort of they, they really care about the brewery and it's uh, yeah it's probably one of the best things about having the brewery is like the people you work with as well yeah like it, does make imagine, it, it makes it great coming every day having mm-hmm. those people around who, who really care about it Brilliant. That's great, Ben. And I'm sure you're right. It's the, the business is so much more than just you two guys, isn't it? It's everybody yeah. there is contributing and, and making this happen. So that's great. So you got 17 keg taps or 17 total, including your four? So, 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 no, it's, it's 15, 15 keg, two, two casks. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay. And are you expecting to that to be mostly Rivington beers or is there going to be room for some guest beers there? This year, yes. We want to... Last year, we had a couple of guest lines. Mm-hmm. What we want to do more of this year is it'd be all Rivington, but we open up lines for events. Kind of tap tie over type approach, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the last Friday in April, we've got Drop Project coming up to a collab. Oh, nice. So, yeah, yeah. And we don't, you don't really see their beers around here that much. Like, it's in no. the cans a few times. So we're going to do like yeah, a mini great, tap takeover for that. And then we can, we'll keep a couple of their kegs on and sort of ro- rotate those. But I think we want to do it more based around event side things mm-hmm. it's what the likes of like Cloudwater do really well at their tap room yes so i do they'll, they'll yeah. do an event and then the taps will be dedicated to the brewery or the event that they're doing and then you go another time and it's all their beers back on again yeah that yeah. makes sense i don't you know if, if you can keep the production level to supply most of those taps why wouldn't you yeah, yeah. Makes, makes perfect sense that's, that's the problem at the moment it's yeah. looking all right at the moment in a month or two time i don't know so <laughs> we'll see. so let's talk reopening plans yeah what is your plan? Reopen on Wednesday. Fantastic. So, okay. yeah. So we've got Phil, who's our tap room manager, mm-hmm. and Kat and Jack, who work in the tap room and also a little bit in the brewery as well. So we're going to be running Wednesday, Thursday, 1 till 8, Friday, mm-hmm. 1 till 9, Saturday, 12 till 10, Sunday, 12 till 8. Fantastic. Um, we're doing a booking system. So I think first five Saturdays are booked up so far. Awesome. Um, but we're leaving a few tables for walk-ins. And we're okay. also not setting a time limit on the tables. Um, okay. I know a lot, a lot of places do like two hours. Mm. But again, with our location, we didn't want someone to have to, to drive out here for half an hour to have no. a table for two hours to have to drive back half an hour. So we're leaving it open. If yeah, so chances are people will be able to get a walk-up table as the session yeah. sort of you know gets gets towards the end of the last few hours or whatever. Yeah, yeah. good. Okay. Exactly, exactly. And what's the booking process? That, is that through your website or...? Yes, or bookings yep. at rivingtonbrewing.co.uk. Perfect. Um, so, yeah, look, looking forward to reopening. It's mm. been the tap room has been a fulfillment center for about five or six yeah. months. Just <laughs> like cows everywhere yeah. and, and boxing stuff. We actually had the uh, caravanners, uh, we had a few caravanners arriving today. It's been quite strange actually to okay. have people back on. It's, yeah, just uh, seeing people around yeah, here again. Weird. Nice. It's, me yeah. and, and Billy in the brewery were canning today, and there's a few people coming about caravans ready to check in. Like, it's a strange seeing people. We've had <laughs> what, almost six months if it's just yeah. been the five of us in the, in the well, six of us in the brewery, so in the tap room. Yeah, no, you have to get readjusted yeah. to that. And so, yes, yeah, so, so the campsite is actually a strictly speaking a caravan site, isn't it? I think just to, so people don't get the wrong impression looking at your website, yeah. not, you don't take tents, at least not this year, as far as I understand it. No, <laughs> not this year. We do have four bell tents. Mm-hmm. Um, which bookings can be taken through Airbnbs I think aren't they yes yeah. yeah so we're doing that but yeah we, we, we thought we'd take it a bit slow this year we've got quite limited parking and so we thought we'd just, just we'll, go with the caravan we'll, we also had, we found last year as well I guess we've been truthful that I think so quite a few people that came camping here hadn't previously camped before and the sort of people who would maybe used to going on, on a holiday or going to a hotel 
And I think it's just quite common for a lot of campsites around the UK that people would like leave tents behind or oh, God. leave their rubbish because they yeah. weren't used to camping and it no. just added an extra level of stress of dealing with that. Oh, and yeah. So we thought, let's skip it for a year and see how it goes and we'll look again next year and right. deciding what, what we do with the campsite going forward as, as well and how that ties into the brewery. Yeah, makes sense. Let's talk about Tap Beneath the Trees. Is that a thing of the past or is that going to be coming back? Um, it's still there. The bar is actually still there, mm-hmm. um, but we've not actually got around. We've not really had the time to organise it. We've not been all. Been into the bar in, yeah, it's been almost yeah. two years now, so I'm a bit nervous. So this is like a little <laughs> cabin out in the, in yeah, the woods. And we've talked for a bit about at some point we want to do like a mini festival on the mm-hmm. farm. And again, nothing huge, but where we potentially have like a few little bars dotted around the farm. But we've got a campsite there, so not everyone that comes to camp is coming for the tap room, so we have to be mindful of that. We've yeah, got... so it would probably need to be slightly out of season, wouldn't it? So it didn't interfere. Yeah, we've got... Call, you know, you wouldn't do it here, summer holidays, you? probably, would you, for example? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's horses here, there's cattle, so we need to work out how we can do it and cater for it without, I guess, impeding on the other businesses. Yeah, and then yeah. also the rural location, we don't want to cram it into up with, with a load of cars, so... We've, we've always been quite word of mouth. So when we did tap on the trees a few years ago, it was quite small. I would say it was quite... How many people would you typically have? Uh... Oh, I think... Go on. I don't know. The first year it started, we... 100 maybe. Yeah, may, maybe 100 or so. Okay. And we thought nice. it was loads. So mm-hmm. the first year, we only did two tap beneath the trees. And I think the following year was the year that we... We actually had some fires up on, on Winter Hill in Rivington. Yeah. But we had like a month of 25... What 20 25 degree weather? I think we had three taps in that time, and like oh, wow. we were like Easter was hot, Maybank holiday was hot. The next one, like, this is amazing, and you know, we're getting mm. a couple of hundred people down. We were so not organized for sort of dealing with that amount of people as well. We had like beer lines fobbing regularly with like no mm. flow control on them and stuff. We had like four people crammed into a tiny cabin trying to pour drinks. But I think that's what made it a little bit unique. It wasn't very well polished, it was just no. something completely different. And it sounds amazing, but I can see why you've got to tread a bit cautiously with it now. And if you're going to do it again, it's got to be yeah, got to be well. We will, we will, we will do something, but we also want to do it again, not not rush into it. Do it, take our time. Obviously, anything this year is pretty much a no go. Yeah. But then look at next year and and what do we do and how do we do it a bit differently and Mm -hmm. how do we stand out of it? But then also, how do we attract enough people to sort of come out to Rivington? So yeah, we've got, we've got, we've got a few ideas. I don't think that's um, going to be one of the problems you need to concern yourself with. I think think your reach and your reputation is sufficient that you can get as many hundred people as you want, probably almost at the drop of a hat. So it's a limiting it is probably the harder challenge, but thank you. (laughs) Let's talk about standing on the corner. This is your 6.8% California IPA collaboration with your mates at Marble. Yes, that's right. Uh, Tasting notes, I have, say, a crisp California IPA hopped with Amarillo, Simcoe, and Centennial. My tasting notes would say, yep, nice piney bitterness, not overwhelming West Coast in your face, not shuddering as I drink it, which I'm sure wasn't your intention. (laughs) But I don't think you never want to brew a beer that made people shudder, but some some brewers do. And it's balanced, I think, with some really nice citrus fruit flavours. I'm really enjoying it. What's your thoughts? We wanted, I mean, we like a little bit of bitterness, really. And and I think something that wasn't 
too malty. I think something that's clean, mm-hmm. a little sharp bit of bitterness, bit of bit of fruit as well. And I think one of the best beers we had last year in the summer, midsummer, was a, a DDH from Northern Mountain. Yeah, we off, yeah. And it was it was just it, it didn't have that kind of that New England thickness to it. It was just right. quite clean and refreshing, and but then it had the hops as well and. It was something similar to that, but maybe it, we, we just added a little bit of bitterness, yeah. haven't we, to it. Just uh, something to make you want to go back. It's probably more of a summer beer, yeah. I, I yeah. would say. We've done a couple of mountain pale as well. And, okay. and to be honest, this, this on the mountain is, is us looking at these as sort of new styles. Like mm-hmm. There's a style that Joe at Marble wants to do as well, a California IPA. I mean, yeah. they do poppy bitter beers better than anyone. So it's something that he wants to play around with, like a, a completely Pilsner base right a water chemistry that's not overly soft but gives a bit of bitterness and then combining okay. like centennial which is like a you know sort of classic yeah, classic tiny hop yeah. with yeah. some fruity ones in amarillo and simcoe nice yeah no, i think it works really well what i'd like to do actually is and i asked well you won't have heard this yet but i, I had um, mark from almasty on the podcast last week doesn't publish till tomorrow and he's similar vintage to you guys actually he's been at it for a little bit longer but you're both before Cloudwater in terms of breweries so so that gives you a perspective on the industry that i'm always curious to drill into so what i'd like to know how do you score the uk craft beer scene in 2021 are you pleased with where it's got to compared to two three years ago when it's certainly come a long way in that time you know but what what's your commentary personally i think amazingly so i think it's every year seen as, as improved as a whole mm-hmm. and as i think i said too early i think when brewed up the first round mm-hmm. that was almost Marbles were had been going one leg been on for like 20 years but yeah. around that sort of brewed up time there was like a handful of breweries it almost felt like we went through our adolescence phase and there was loads of brewery openings. There was loads of new styles. I mean, we talked about when we first started, the quality beer that we put out when we first started, there's no way we would be here today if we were putting out that beer now. Right. So I think the scene, the quality of the scene has just got so much higher and higher. Yeah. Um and it's made it harder, I think, for new breweries to enter into the market. But I think what it's made is that the breweries that do enter, it's become increasingly hard to go home brewer to go pro on a small 200 litre kit. Yeah. Um, it's now, if you're starting a brewery, it's serious and it's like investment. And it's a big 10 barrel brewery. It's a tap room straight away. And it's yeah. a really good brew team. And it's a really good tap room team and stuff. Um, so I think, yeah, we've just gone through this phase of maturing and we'll probably see less brewery openings and from honest i think we'll probably see the market consolidate a little bit and mm. you might actually see a, a decrease in breweries but that's nothing new it happened in america they sure. had a yeah. rapid expansion of breweries and they had a load of closures and they had a second wave of expansion again so i think yeah that, that's just sort of the, the cycle of, that, that we're on at the moment yeah i think i think it's a, a good place i think you look at how we perceive worldwide now as well as some of the breweries in the Absolutely. UK. Yeah, yeah definitely. It's, it's amazing. And, and we've become, UK becoming a destination. I mean, we're very fortunate that we're so mm. close to Manchester mm. and the quality that we just have on our doorstep mm. is phenomenal in terms of Manchester and Leeds, let, yeah. let alone London and Bristol. Mm-hmm. I think how the, how the industry's adapted as well yeah. this last year. Yes. And you see some of the, these craft breweries and just, just going to cans yeah. and, and just... Yeah, it's just that, that speed, isn't it? Yeah. That they've kind of you look at Panoma, who have just absolutely yeah. just 
there's red in this kind of yeah, way the and if there's we've said that is the sort of the businesses that the bars and the breweries who've done something in lockdown as tough as it has been the ones that have made a go of it and diversified and done something i think the ones are going to stick around i think the people have just not really done as much you're going to find it hard to get back into the market but for a lot i mean for us lockdown you know we, we found a load of new customers and we've yep. got a sort of bigger name out, out of lockdown but we've also been proactive in doing that we've been yep. proactive in, in moving into cans and investing in a canning machine and stuff mm. it's not just been by yeah. fluke yeah i think some i mean as well some of the traditional more traditional breweries have just panicked and just shut kind of thing yeah. and, and furloughed people and just yeah i mean they're not real it is like you say it's, it's a good point it's just and people who've kind of been proactive and yeah and adapted yeah. to the situation yeah and in, got the name out more and, yeah. and it's just and people i hope people remember that as well i'm not, I'm not saying it from us but i'm just no, from no, other people who've, who've yeah i mean it's like it's, some it's, of these bottle shops have been so hard working i mean if yeah. you're delivering yeah. and yeah at the home yeah working all that and hope like home delivering for your bottle shop and then yeah um and i think it's, it's so good to see yeah exactly the nature of breweries putting on events like doing zoom evenings and doing yeah. podcasts and the same with the bars and doing evenings and doing shooting tastings and you got beer writers doing like Friday night in beers. Like it's, mm. I think it's it's brilliant to see how proactive the industry has been. And I, I think it's, I think that the loyalty that customers have shown shows sort of the strength that the industries are. And, I, and I'm hoping with from or from today with reopening that mm. breweries are going to see and, and consumers are going to see sort of how strong how strong the industry is. I think I'm. I have no facts to back it up at all or data, but I imagine there's been loads of newcomers to the craft beer industry who before wouldn't have touched it. The guys yeah. that have gone into Tesco and bought a punk IPA for the first time mm. or bought another beer for the first time. And then suddenly now, over that period of like a year, they've gradually got more and more into craft beer and they'll be visiting a tap room for the first time and they'll be looking at the local breweries and yeah. I, I imagine there's been, there's been loads of those in lockdown. It's got to be, hasn't there? Man, yeah. I, I've got yeah. so many thoughts from what you just said the last couple of minutes. I'm trying to get myself organised here. But I think, firstly, I totally agree with you that it's been a scary time for business owners like yourselves. You've invested heavily. You've just got to a point where you were ready to have a massive year in 2020 and then suddenly you're shut. So that's been a scary time. But you weren't going to take that line down. You you say you've pivoted. You've got the canning machine in. You've, you've started to promote yourself on social media and other channels you've got your web shop fully operational and shipping nationally and, and that's enabled you to have a really strong year and but you're by no means the only one i would say the majority of people i've had on this podcast are in exactly that position they've scrambled they've got really scrappy but it's paid off for them and the reason it's paid off is because they're making a great product and they've got great loyalty from their local not just the local customers but their local customers and their national customers and so yeah. I think there's a massive will for this craft beer scene to succeed and prosper. And so coming back to the supermarket point, yeah, you know, the supermarkets can be viewed as a bit of a sinister force in terms of driving yeah. down the price point. And we sort of touched on that earlier on. But the fact is they absolutely are bringing in new customers. At least I damn well hope so, because if they're not, then they're just destroying everything. So, yeah. you know, they better have been bringing in new customers, you know, yeah. otherwise we're all in trouble. But I'm pretty sure they are. And so I'm sure you're absolutely right. There's been people that have been doing their shopping in Morrison's or Tesco's or Sainsbury's and they've been seeing the new craft beers in the shiny cans, you know, the re you know these really attractive cans, you know, that's yeah. where they really come into their own, isn't it? And that's, people have been picking up those beers and I hope that they're going to be 
coming out to to seek out your tap room and, and everybody else's tap rooms uh, as, as things open up this summer. Yeah, every everyone starts somewhere with a with a beer or and predominantly almost like a supermarket beer as well. I think for craft, mm-hmm. like I mean, the first time I had Punk IPA or Sierra Nevada, like mm-hmm. it's yeah, and from there you gravitate and and seek out who's producing what on a local area. Um, I think the other thing with, with the industry, especially like the last couple of years, was I think it's strong as well as the breadth of style that's now being mm-hmm. accepted in the UK. Yeah. You look at, again, like Little Earth and Mills doing mixed mm-hmm. firm beers. Look at, look at Vault City, who were just oh, doing sour beers, yeah. producing just like, it's absolutely amazing. Look at like Donzoko and um, Lost and Grounded, yeah. just yeah. doing like amazing lager. Like it's, the industry's matured massively now to accept more styles and, and more people get into it. Yeah. And so just to wrap up that conversation, what's your crystal ball prediction for the next couple of years? Let me just preface that by saying, you know, let's assume COVID goes away and stays away. How do you see this industry evolving the next couple of years? I think quality will continue to improve. Mm-hmm. I think you'll see, I guess, a continuation of what I said earlier, I think you'll see less small brewery openings and the breweries that do open are going to be bigger operations, not necessarily bigger in the sense of like national distribution, but like bigger kits where you can produce a, a really good quality of beer. Um, I think from seeing festivals like Friends and Family, mm. I think hoppy-wise, the best guys in the UK are sort of Day as a track, Verdant's yeah. Cloudwater, a right up there with. Well, these with people the are rock stars now, aren't they? You know, there's, yeah. no, there's no exaggeration to say they're at that sort of level of adoration. Yeah. Yeah. I think the big shift is going to be a lager, which we're already starting to see, but I think the mixed firm side of things. Yeah. Um, and I think breweries, it's going to be, if you look at what they do in America, it's big investment behind mixed firm, as we've done and a lot of other UK breweries have done, like you sort of dip your toes in and get like a couple of barrels or get something to put some beer in. It's like, okay, yeah. if we're going to do it properly, we invest in a couple of hundred barrels and we spend some time and some money in doing that. And I think that's where the UK's behind the States. And I think that's probably going to be the biggest shift the next sort of five or six years. And I think Definitely. it's also going to be, yeah. be educating and moving consumers into that as well. Yeah. That it's sort of not just... As much as our brewery is built on a hazy DDH pale, it's not mm-hmm. just that. It's this whole world of mixed firm and, and different styles. Yeah, probably not just mixed firm barrels, but but also barrel aging yeah. at the at the top end of the of the ABV scale as well. Whether it's stouts or other interesting yeah. strong beers, I think there's tons of variety and potential, isn't there, for, for yeah. creativity mm-hmm. when it comes to barrels? Let's move swiftly on to talk about Untapped. So you guys are currently rated. 3.84 average brewer rating. I checked it this afternoon, which makes you the 46th highest rated brewery in England, which is no mean feat. Congra- congratulations. That's a, an amazing effort. So given that, how much attention do you pay to online ratings and reviews? Quite a lot. No, yeah, like, I'm not going to lie anymore, but we do. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> I like to pretend that we don't care, but we do. I'm checking it less than we used to, apparently, as we have more check-ins because we're on a small scale. You'd know on a Saturday night we'd get about 10 or 12 check-ins. So you'd see almost every single one of them. Yep. Whereas now on Saturday night, it's, it's quite a few. You can't yeah, you can't. Track. It's just scrolling by. You can't read them all. Yeah. yeah. It's love-hate. When it's mm. when it's good, it's good. When it's bad, it's really frustrating. Mm. <laughs> like, so and there's, there's no there's no it's, getting away from it. It's 
Yeah, a bit of thick skin sometimes. I mean, your body. Oh, I'm sure it's you good do, for, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's good for feedback. I think I think we'd be lying if we said we didn't. No, we, we release a new beer. We kind of yeah, we'll have a look and see how it's going. And I think it, it averages out long term, but I also yeah. I mean, I think we're sandwiched between the kernel and pressure drop at the moment. You are. You're oh, yeah, the kernel. Yeah. Like, oh, like, right. how, like we, this is definitely, we shouldn't be above kernel. Yeah, like, this is definitely above. They've been going for what yeah. ten years. The breakfast styles they do, the quality they do, the consistency. Mm. There's no way we should be there. There's no way we should be above marble or burning sky. Mm. But they have a lot more check-ins and they do a lot of beers that aren't are like, not fashionable. Fashionable. Yeah. Or get, or get yeah. high ratings, and, yeah. and that's. The, the crux of it as well, I guess, is that it's brilliant for us at times when we get good ratings and and we've certainly had places buy off us because of our ratings, we've had new sure. people try yeah. us, but at the same time, we've got two cask out this week and we've got a Saison next week. Hmm. I expect our rating will go down. <laughs> doing those. Yeah. And it's, but because well, of what we're doing. If, so. You know, people not that much going to check the cask in probably, are they? Because that's going into places where people are not probably on their phones, you know, with untapped open when they're drinking it. So I don't think you probably need to worry about that. The Saison, maybe, I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> depends how good yeah. it is. But. <laughs> yeah, so it's, just, it's a good, I think it's a good tool for feedback. There's just no, there's no real like averages there you can't well i mean it is, two... it is exactly an average isn't it that's the, that's the point you know is you can't get away yeah, from that. So, it's, yeah. math, it's always pure math <laughs> yeah is a you're trying to get that it's yeah like comparing beach house which is 3.8 percent to one of our dippers they're completely different styles of beer yeah they're rated differently because a dipper you have these incredible flavors this aroma and this appearance and everything whereas there's subtle differences in a saison or a lager or and he's drinking four percent. They're never going to get the same ratings. So no. Can you can you punish a brewery who does four percent beer and says on really really well? Because are they not as good? Absolutely not. Like Burning Sky, one of the best breweries in the country. Absolutely, no doubt. Yes, yeah. and they're yeah. they're not in the top fifty. Well, no. they are. They're, but they're one of the best breweries in the UK. Yeah, they've been so everybody's not... most people's top tens yeah. probably, but. They're not in the yeah. top 15 on taps. Great point. Yeah. 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 It's impossible. I love it as a, it's a great conversation starter. I must say it's, yeah. you know, I totally love it as a user because it's all, there's no downside to it for me. It's an amazing research tool. Yeah. I mean, it's a great drinking diary. Not that perhaps we shouldn't need a drinking diary, but it's yeah. nice to have one. It's, just, you know, it? <laughs> it's probably a reflection of a little bit of society that, everything's review culture now yeah, like you put really your podcast is, yeah. out and mm. you get reviews on what apple podcasts not many actually like you know. <laughs> <You'd be surprised>. <laughs> <laughs> you leave me one if you like yeah. but it's like yeah you go to a restaurant or a coffee shop and people are on TripAdvisor for that or a holiday so it's just i know you're absolutely right yeah you say it's, we're society living in, in review. review society yeah absolutely yeah very good i'd like to talk about what we can see coming from Rivington in the next few months in terms of beers. I've got a few clubs lined up. So we've got Billy, our brewer, is heading up to S43. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, going to see Alex. Yeah. Yeah, let's do a beer there. Mm-hmm. We've got Drop Project coming up at the end of the month. Yeah, you mentioned those um, guys. Brilliant, yeah. Yeah. We've, we're going to do a beer with, or maybe two with Wild Horse. Okay, cool. Um, we've got the return. We, we did a, a three-way collab with Squawk and Pomona. Okay. Island. We're going to do... I don't know if we're going to do both this year, but we're going to do another leg of that collab, okay. and then potentially another one after that. So they're all in the diary. Nice. We, festival-wise, we a couple of festivals. 
we've got we're, we're actually part of the festival of beer yeah. in september which is a, it's an event we went to a couple of years ago right next to silverstone grand prix oh, um cool really amazing rural location with bars dotted around camping so we're going to be sort of be down there in September. And I think like the Northern Monk, hopefully we'll be down and Ooh, that sounds uh, great. Mona again as well. Yeah. A few other guys. Um, and then beer wise, we're getting two new tanks in, mm-hmm. um, in the next couple of weeks. One of those is going to be a lager tank so we can have lager on top. Um, right. The second one is pretty much just going to be a fog tank. Yeah, which yeah. rotate between fog for keg and then fog for can. And then what else, club-wise, oh, we're doing um, the guys, Corto, who um, we're going to have a permanent fog line. And we're actually going to do a collab with those guys next week. And we're going oh, to nice. do, um, actually going to do a whip beer with those guys. Cool. Um, yeah, I like one, a beer. Both of one of my favourite beers is Allagash White. Mm. Um, and I'm sure we won't get even remotely close to doing it to justice. But no, I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's just that and it's, Saison coming out. Saison, yeah, trying to get a bit more organised and starting to plan ahead. I know Billy, one of our brewers, really wants to do a bitter for cask. Um, We've got a few fruited gozers we want to play around with. Um, So I think it's this year's getting our quick production in order for the tap room, seeing where we're at. And then next year, I think, is where we're going to start looking to put some money around, like mixed firm and barrel aging a little bit more. Um, But yeah, see how we go this year and then look to do it properly next year, but we need a bit more space, which is like sort of doing up another barn and obviously- But you've got the buildings there, it's just a question of actually yeah, just going and, through and, and fitting them out. As, as we were talking earlier, it's not rushing into it. It's not just because more and more brewers are doing it. We want to do it properly when we do yep. it and spend some time on it. So if it's not this year or it's not next year, it's the year after, we plan on being around for yeah. quite a while. So we're going to take our time and. Do it when we're ready, I guess. Fantastic. Sounds like a plan to me. So what's the best place for people to get their hands on some Rivington beers these days, now that you've stopped distributing nationally? <laughs> we still are in national bottle shops and okay. bars. So we, Pig's Ears, uh, take beer for sort of... Oh, okay. Uh, cool. In the London and yeah. South area. We also ship to a few bottle shops in London, all the way down to like Devon and Cornwall. Vessel, um, no doubt, Plymouth. Yeah, so permanent line-wise, plug-in taps when they're open, Corto when they're going to be able to be open, will be on there. Yep. Um, but yeah, a little bit of all over, and then obviously the uh, the tap room. Fantastic. Gentlemen, I've got two questions left. The first is what I call the shout-out to the little guy, and here I ask you to name a small local business, so that might be you know, certainly local to Lancashire. Choose to make it as local as you like. It could be another brewery, a tap room, a bottle shop, a bar, a pub, cafe, or a restaurant that is doing a great job promoting independent craft beer to the region. Local breweries. We recently did a collab in January with with a few local breweries. We were all working really hard to push the local scenes. So we've got Northern mm-hmm. Monkey, Black Edge, Tin Edge, Whiffnells, and Escape Brewery. And they're all doing really good things. And they've all been mega proactive in lockdown as well, at sort of yeah. pushing it and, and getting the scene going locally. Nice. Big shout out to all those guys. All right. um, and then outlets wise. Yeah, we've got Bunbury's, Bolton. That's been a, a bit oh, it's been like really a... supported from day one. They? Yeah, day one. Darryl. He's bought our stuff there. Um, nice. And then, especially moved to Cannes, the likes of um, Tommy Wrights and Horwich mm-hmm. have been brilliant. Mark Alehouse and Plug and Taps, they're the first to put us on a permanent tap there. Browser Bargain Booze, Leyland, yeah. Tin and Glass, 
over towards Wigan have been brilliant as well. Adam down at Dexter and Jones. Yeah, there's been loads. And, and to be honest, it's, it's almost unfair of shouting out just a couple. There's, there's been, there's been so really many hard, people, like, Yeah, like so many businesses who've, who've been brilliant, all, especially in the last lockdown. Yeah, thanks to all of them. Definitely. Definitely. Now, I think that obviously bottle shops are going to be slightly concerned now that the pubs are open. So hopefully people are going to still value their independent local box shops and keep shopping there yeah. because those those guys have done an amazing job keeping us well stocked yeah, yeah. brilliant exactly. beers the last year so you know let's hope yeah. that people continue to take their business to the bottle shops definitely excellent then i have a wrap-up question gentlemen you will have heard this before this question is what would be your ultimate happy hour i'd like an answer from each of you and what i need to know is where would you be who would you be with and what would you be drinking and this is non-covid restricted for me, from a nostalgia point of view, would be either back in Asheville in North Carolina, okay, or back in San Diego, mm-hmm. because I think it, it's being those two places where there's just good beer all around, and I think, yeah, going back to that was, I guess, the ethos of of why we both started. We I get both it. Sort of took inspiration from yeah, those I scenes. Totally get it. Being out there, probably drinking from me and Allegash White. <laughs> I'd be yeah. in my element. So. Mine was a little bit similar. I, was, we, I went with my wife to San Diego and we mm-hmm. uh, found Modern Times. Nice. Uh, brewery. went there right. and our phones died on our way home. So we couldn't catch an Uber. So oh, we right. went to a little brewery called Bay City Brewing and mm-hmm. they looked after us. And I'd love to go back there and yeah. have a couple of beers. It was, yeah, didn't know it was there. Just nice. Well, those are often the best experiences. What, what would your um, what would your beer of choice be there, Mick? I mean, they just did amazing pails there, so mm-hmm. it would just be some five percent pale. Just yeah, sit back and smash a few of them, and yeah, that was yeah, good times. Perfect. And yeah. neither, so, so you, you would you be back there with your wife, or would there be somebody else that you'd like to? Ooh, I mean, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm really yeah. dodgy ground here yeah, now, but you can bring yeah, somebody definitely. else. I was going to yeah, say, is, yeah. is in yeah, addition exactly. to your wife, is there somebody else you'd like to be? You know? No, Christy <laughs> <laughs> was fine. That would be fine. How yeah. about yourself, Ben? In terms of uh, uh, terms of companions for for this ultimate happy hour, uh, Claire, my wife, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't know, again, probably like the guys from the brewery. Yeah. Um, with like Mick and Phil, Kat, Jack and Billy. Be, yeah, like, even though we see them every day, like, you yeah, know, like to take those guys out there and, yeah, it'd probably be, be pretty perfect. Fantastic. All right, gentlemen, this has been lots of fun. Thank you so much for your time. Love your beers. And I'm definitely going to try and come up and see you at some point this summer. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, let, let's know if you're coming up. Sure. I definitely will, yeah. I'd love to come and check out your location because I'm sure it's absolutely perfect. Cheers, Rob. Thank Thanks you very much. much. Commencing in July 2021, This Week in Craft Beer will be running meticulously curated long weekend tours to the world's most exciting craft beer cities in partnership with some of the UK's leading craft breweries. Destinations for 2021 will include Copenhagen, New England, Brooklyn and Miami. If you fancy joining a small tour party led by a leading UK craft brewer as we experience a packed long weekend of meet the brewer and tutor tastings at some of the leading craft breweries on the planet, please pay close attention to our newsletter and website as we make new announcements each week throughout April and May. 